right now we're going to do a, a bit of a, a philosophical deep dive here um, and talk about intelligence. What is it and should we be worried that our own intelligence as humans could ultimately destroy us and how does AI play into all of this I know okay this is kind of a philosophical one so <laughs> bear with us here we're going to dive into it with our guest who's a professor of English at the University of Victoria Dr. Richard Van Oort Dr. Oort thank you so much for making the time I really appreciate it Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. So uh, you wrote a, a fascinating piece for theconversation.com. It's called What is Intelligence? For millennia, Western literature has suggested it may be a liability. I just want to start, first of all, with what led you to writing this piece? What was the curiosity that, that steered you in this direction? Well, it's funny you should ask that, because originally I had been thinking like many professors in my situation about chat GPT, mm. and that got me thinking about artificial intelligence, and then I um, wrote a piece just for the fun of it on why I thought uh, artificial intelligence represented, if not a threat to humanity, certainly a threat to my job as a marker of student essays. Well, uh, that seems to be the big concern for so many people in so many different industries is how is this going to negatively impact me? I mean, sure, we can acknowledge that there are likely some efficiencies that will be created with AI, but there's a big concern that it's going to, that it's going to take over. And so you kind of start by talking about intelligence, what is it, and can AI replace human intelligence? So let's just kind of define if we can what is what is human intelligence? Can we start there? Yes, well, that's a very good question, and I think that's a good place to start because I don't think the AI model uh, actually has gotten to the bottom of what human intelligence is, and that's first the first mistake we often make. And it's certainly uh, the AI model, and GPT in particular, is not actually providing um, what someone like me would normally consider it to be human intelligence. Mm -hmm. So I define human intelligence very broadly, and I also want to draw attention to its ethical side. So I define human intelligence in, in the following manner. We are the only species for whom the greatest danger is ourselves. In other words, <laughs> you're more likely to find yourself murdered by another human being than to be mauled and killed by a rogue bear or cougar. Hmm. You talk about that, and, and I'm hoping that you can dive into that a little bit more, that ethical liability of intelligence, of, of being a human. When you talk about being at risk by other human beings, are you talking about the ways that we can corrupt one another's minds, or are you talking about actually imparting physical violence onto someone? I mean, it could, it could include both. I mean, obviously the bottom line is coercion or physical violence, but it can, of course, manifest itself in all kinds of psychological violences. Mm -hmm. Um, but, I mean, the best way to think about this is that for most of human history, a religion, and more precisely religious ritual, has functioned as a way to constrain or control or defer our violent tendencies. So, just to give you an example that comes from an anthropologist who studied the, the Chawang of the Malay Peninsula, there's this ritual that a hunter has to go through when he brings a kill back from the forest to the village. A member of the tribe comes forward and touches the animal, the killed animal, with his index finger. And then he goes through every member of the tribe and touches with that same finger each tribe member, all the while saying the word punan. Now, the word punan does not 
refer to the animal. Instead, it refers to the task that each individual member must undergo, which is to defer their desire for the meat until it has been properly butchered and cooked and then distributed. Because this is a, obviously meat is a valuable resource. There's a strong desire to appropriate it, but each tribe member must withhold that desire and go through this proper ceremony in order to enjoy the meat collectively. And so that's religion then that's that's guiding that, that's kind of guiding those principles of how to behave, how to operate, creating tradition and culture around, at least in this example, the experience of consumption of, of an animal. What if, when we talk about intelligence being replicated by AI, what if AI could create or even replicate what we would recognize as religion? Are you Are you worried that it could do that? Well, I don't even know how you'd begin to uh, address that. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) I don't either. There's a lot of unknowns when it comes to AI and (laughs) what it can do for us. That's what... I mean, that's kind of the basis of this, right? But that could be a concern, is that how much are we blindly just following these technologies that it could then sort of take on some form of religion? Well, certainly in the case of chat GPT and the large language model of AI, the... The, the question is not really about religion at all. The question is simply about delivering information. Mm. And, and, you know, th- th- these programs are actually very effective at doing that. But, of course, that's based on a particular idea of intelligence as a way of delivering concepts, as a way of delivering information. And I'm disputing that that is, in fact, the, you know, fundamental task of human intelligence. Of course, it is a subset of human intelligence and a very important one. Right, but language, much of what we do when we talk to one another is deliver information, but that's by no means all that we do when we use language. And so if you take that as that, that small subset of, of, of what language does and then um, treat it as though it's the, uh, only, uh, the only purpose, then you've created a, a very narrow and, in fact, inaccurate model of human intelligence. In your article, you talk about the different ways that that literature has suggested that intelligence could be a liability. And there are various examples that you go into, and I don't want to give away the entire article, but in in one example, you reference um, monsters being being metaphors for our own intelligence. Can Can you expand on that thought and that philosophy? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's very hard to discuss literature without first understanding, you know, the religious function of language and the religious function of rituals like, you know, Thanksgiving, for example. But w- one way to think about uh, literature is that it invites you to put yourself into fictional ethical contexts rather than real ones. And then it asks you to imagine what you would do by identifying with the various characters who are actually in those situations. Hmm. And that's a way to conduct a kind of thought experiment that it makes, you know, forces you into difficult situations where you have to make ethical choices, and they may not always be the right ones. But, but literature invites you to reflect on this, and in reflect on this, maybe you can learn something. And so, you know, the the example that you were citing was the example of uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a useful example simply because 
in our scientific and technological age, we, um, and this is what you hear in the news all the time, is AI is going to take over the world. <laughs> but of course, it's a very old story. Uh, and in the modern era, it's a very old story in science fiction. And Mary Shelley was one of the first writers to create a story around the idea of creating a kind of robot that then became very violent. But you know, my reading of that story is essentially that the, 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 the monster is basically a metaphor for human violence, because a monster ends up wanting exactly what his creator has, which is to say, you know, a wife and the possibility of children. And when he can't have it, he, you know, wants to take vengeance on his creator, Victor Frankenstein. Uh, so, you know, what I'm getting from this conversation from your article and from talking to you is that, you know, we are really complex and and layered creatures as humans. And our intelligence isn't something that's going to be replicated by any sort of AI model or machine. Maybe we need to worry a little bit less about this. Yeah, the AI is not going to take over the world. That's, uh, that's pure science fiction, <laughs> which doesn't mean, of course, that AI should not be regulated, just like you know, automobiles aren't going to take over the world. They're still very dangerous, and the government needs to regulate, you know, who drives them and where they drive them. You're, you know, in fact, more likely to be run over by a car than mauled by a cougar. That's a problem that we have created, and that's why, of course, it needs to be regulated. But um, uh, but but the difference with car. Well, now we have autonomous driving vehicles, of course. But <laughs> but uh, so AI is in cars as well. But but these these cars are not uh, independent agents. You know, they don't mm-hmm. they don't treat us as enemies who they have to somehow get rid of so they can conquer the world. That is pure science fiction. Going back to your article, I, I just want you to, um, to to kind of expand, if you can, on the way that you that you wrap things up, talking about our ethical responsibility, because I think it's a really important point to make. You talk about convenience coming with a cost and how we can't forget our ethical responsibility to one another. Can you explain that thought? Well, yeah, I mean, at the end, I make it a sort of a bleak reference to our increasingly digitized world. And so between, you know, I mean, between you and me right now, there's a telephone line. Um, so it's very abstracted. And increasingly, that seems to be the case that we communicate uh, to each other via the digital screen. But that puts up barriers. Like you would never think of um, running, you know, like a preschool digitally, because this would seriously... Uh, uh, affect the developmental capabilities of the young children that you're supposed to be looking after. They want the face-to-face, whole-body experience. And that, uh, I would suggest, is important for their ethical development. And so th- those, the costs that come with, you know, the convenience of the digital world um, uh, are, are, I think, evident in, in that kind of abstraction. And that's why you see so much incivility on the on the internet. Well, that's one reason why you see so much incivility. Because when you're engaged with the computer, you're not really thinking of the person who sure. may have written, you know, what you're reading. Sure, we've sort of removed our humanity from some of those interactions in a lot of examples that I'm sure many people can call to mind. Dr. Van Oort, thank you so much for this discussion and for your article and the conversation. It's such an interesting read. I really appreciate your time. 
show. Thank you for having me. Of course. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Dr. Richard Van Oort, professor in English out of the University of Victoria. I wrote an article for theconversation.com if you want to check it out. It's called, What is Intelligence for Millennia? Western literature has suggested that it may be a liability.